Thank you so much for listening to Honestly Unorthodox. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, but just don't know where to start, have no fear. Pretty Easy Podcast is here to get your podcast off the ground and sounding great at an extremely affordable rate. Pretty Easy Podcast helps new and seasoned podcasters by providing production, editing, and podcast management assistance. With Pretty Easy Podcasts, you can focus on your show's content while having a reliable tag team partner handle any and all of the technical aspects of podcasting to help your show sound great. As someone who clearly loves to hear themselves speak, I am completely uninterested in learning all of the mechanics of the technicalities of podcasting, the editing, and even the uploading of certain digital material that's needed to make this podcast sound as great as it does. And Pretty Easy Podcast has taken care of all of that for me, and they continue to indulge my love for getting all of this information out to you without any stress and any concern. You can go to prettyeasypodcast.com and get started today. Working with Alan and Melissa really has helped me avoid these roadblocks that so many podcasters run into with the recording, the editing, the feed management. Whether you're new to it or you already have a show, going to prettyeasypodcast.com really makes podcasting just that. Pretty easy. And now, let's get to the show. He who fights monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. I am on the unfettered pursuit of truth. I'm Kayla Perry, and this is Honestly Unorthodox. Welcome back to this week's Honestly Unorthodox. I have with me today Adam, the guy who basically tried to get me canceled. Just kidding, Adam. Welcome back to the podcast. It has been a minute. It has. Thanks for having me again, Kayla. How are we feeling, Adam, since the last time we talked? Yeah. I feel great. Um, the, The wave was cool to, like, experience from this side, kind of. Like, mm-hmm. I obviously did not get as much shit as you got. Yeah. Um, rightly so, because, you know, you're the podcast host, so it's obviously all your fault. Cool. But it, it was interesting to have people comment about me without knowing me, talking right. to me, and and not knowing who I was. Mm-hmm. And I, it was it was very, very interesting. Um, and I... I from a from a personal perspective, it was interesting because I never experienced that. And I always heard other people talk about like, oh, people don't listen and they take things out of right. context. And it really goes to show like you could try to be as precise with your words as possible. Mm-hmm. But if you make a slip up, there's almost no forgiveness. There's no understanding. There's no concept of intentionality versus, you know, right. uh, the effect that it has. And mm-hmm. then people also just like, no, nah, we're just going to cut it off at five minutes and 35 seconds, where if you waited another Very 10 convenient. questions, we're all going to be answered. Yes. Just give it time. Let it, let it cook. Yes. Yes. That was, I wasn't surprised by that. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, you and me have privately spoken about this for a long time. This is, I feel like I'm screaming, <laughs> talking to whoever's listening out in the void for the last year. I said this in the last podcast. So it was interesting to see things come full circle Mm -hmm. and 
I almost, a, a really immature part of me wanted to tell people, you think cancel culture does not exist? I told you so. Right. Look at what is happening. And then I had some people say, I don't know if anybody said this to you, Adam. People said to me, well, were you not expecting a negative reaction with a comment like that? And I said, well, a negative reaction is one thing. Right. This was a, this was a witch hunt. I mean, right. a, a negative reaction would have been, ooh, I don't like how you worded that. Right. Which is far from what actually that, that was a far cry from what was experienced. It, I mean, yes. it, it is a witch hunt. It, it, I mean, a witch hunt in the regards that all those women that were burned at the stake, mm -hmm. they weren't witches. Exactly. So burning you at the stake of eugenics and Nazism. You're not a eugenicist and you're not a Nazi. So that's that's the equivalence there. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So, so I, I would say that, you know, this was a failed cancellation attempt because, you know, we're still kicking. We're still living and breathing, aren't we, Adam? A hundred percent. Okay. Well, this next question might just, you know, stoke the fire all over again. I'll get my gasoline. All right, let's go. <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, me and Kate talked about grief and grieving and loss last week. And that episode will come out a week from now, which I'm already confusing myself. Okay. And Meryl and I talked about this a little bit. Do you think that people with moderate disabilities can understand death? Well, as we are needing to be precise with our words, Kayla, what do you mean by moderate disabilities? Someone with below average yet not intellectual disabilities? Someone that is extremely social and verbal and can communicate yet has, you know, autism? Uh, someone that has um, schizophrenia. I so, would say, let's let's put this in the scope of severe mental illness, and then we'll do disabilities or whatever you want to do first. With okay. severe mental illness, let's say someone is I don't know bipolar, schizophrenic. They're unmedicated, mm -hmm. and they have shown a consistent pattern of not being able to discern between fantasy and psychosis and reality. Okay, um, I'm going to start off by talking about a movie. It's a okay. fictional account. Have awesome. you seen the movie Shutter Island? Oh, what a great movie! Awesome. I like every once in a while things will pop up on like my Instagram reels and like yeah. sometimes their movies and Shutter Island popped up. I'm like, I got to rewatch that. Yes. So the premise of the movie is this Marshall is in a mental hospital looking for a person that goes missing. And this is whole big mystery. And it turns out that he's not actually a Marshall. He's or he used to be a Marshall, but he murdered his wife after she murdered their kids. And he's mm -hmm. blocking it out. And he has no recollection of this because his mind has like sealed it off. So I think if people have difficulty differentiating between fantasy and reality, they can very easily trick themselves into thinking that a person is alive or is dead yep. when that is not an actually the case. Like, cause again, different difficulty differentiating between fantasy and reality, mm -hmm. um, how that manifests in terms of their daily life and their coping strategies. It, it, I mean, it can, it can run the gamut. If you think someone is dead or, oh, what was the, there's a woman, I, this is like one of those things that gets stuck into my brain and I can, can get all the information, but like there was this woman who was part of a cult mm -hmm. and the, the cult leader, essentially, it's like a Christian cult, murdered his wife and got away with it. And then mm -hmm. she murdered her husband and her kids because she thought that they were zombies and they were not like they were themselves. They looked like themselves, but they yeah. weren't themselves because they were inhabited by this mm -hmm. being that created zombies out of them. 
So that doesn't sound like typical mental functioning to me. So Correct. these people are alive, yet she's thinking that they are, you know, like pod people or something like that. So that's fantastical. That's her not truly understanding the reality that they're in. Yeah. And I, and again, I'm a BCBA, I'm not a clinical psychologist, but the, the perception of your reality is if it's flawed, mm -hmm. then your behaviors that are going to come from that are going to seem irrational or, uh, you know, not logical or something to that effect. So in terms of, do they understand death? Mm -hmm. If a person thinks that their child is a zombie, then it would be logical that they kill them. Correct. But the problem is the faulty premise from the first part, like your seven-year-old is not a zombie. Right. So your reasoning is, your reasoning is incorrect. At the, at the base level, you, you understand the definition of death. Maybe you've experienced it yourself, but your reasoning, Correct. like you said, is based on a completely uh, detached view of reality. So I think with, so there's a, there's a, a, a mental in illness. It's really, really rare. It's called Cotard's syndrome mm. and Cotard syndrome is where someone feels like they should be dead. So they are alive, but they feel like they should be dead. So these people have been reported to try injecting themselves with formaldehyde. There have been people running naked, trying to dart into one of the containers in a morgue. There was one patient who actually was digging his own grave in his backyard because he thought, I'm invisible. I am supposed to be dead. I'm I'm not supposed to be here. So wow. clearly, wildly detached from what is reality, but they understand death because they're digging their own grave. They know formaldehyde goes into a dead person. Whereas someone with a moderate disability, and when I say moderate, let's say limited language. So they speak in two to three word phrases. Mm -hmm. I don't... I don't know what their understanding of death would be. Well, I think all the things that you were just describing from the standpoint of like relational frame theory, that's how we come to understand like the tradition of death in the Western world. Like Good the point. tradition of death in an Eastern, you know, religious belief or cultural or traditional sense looks vastly different. Like they have Tibetan sky burials where they just leave the body out and the buzzards pick it apart. And that's their version of death. So with someone with catards, if they had that and they were living in one of those countries that practices that, would they just go and lay in a field until they died? True. Like actually died and the buzzards start eating them? Yeah, true. Know. Great point. So it, it's, it, that's, that's the relational frame that they've equated. Like formaldehyde goes into dead bodies. I think I'm dead. Therefore I need formaldehyde. Like it's that equivalence. Mm -hmm. uh, so if people have a difficult time with, constructing those frames then i don't necessarily think that they would be able to fully understand death as it relates to those frames mm -hmm. but understanding loss and the the an object permanence mm -hmm. might also be something that's important because we have all worked with clients who have difficulty with manding and requesting things right and the first level of that is presenting the item and having them ask for it when they almost like reach for it. So they've declared that they want that thing. But when that thing is not there, it's almost like peekaboo with a baby. Like you cover your eyes, absolutely. you're gone. Right. So if you have difficulty with object permanence, you're probably not going to realize or process if your mother or someone that you love is no longer there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but to the same effect, if they do start to realize that, and you previously thought they didn't have object permanence, then maybe that's showing that they do understand that and they're, you can build off of that as well. And yeah. then, you know, they might not have the language to explain. They might have the vocal ability to communicate. I'm sad because mommy died, but right. they are constantly looking for mom or they're going into the bedroom or something along those lines. So there's some sort of overt communication other than vocal that's letting you know, like they know that something's different, like something has changed in their environment. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there was a, a case recently where um, a client, he, I want to say he's in his mid twenties, his mom has cancer and mm. she's terminal. She's kind of in that last, she's heading towards palliative care essentially. Mm. So there are obvious physical differences that he's seeing in mom. Mm -hmm. Mom is not present in the home as much because she's constantly in the hospital. And this is a nonverbal client who has a history of struggling to follow very basic directions. I mean, any direction given really needs to be said in like a one to two word phrase. Right. His staff have been saying to others, Oh, you know, give him a break. He's anxious because his mom has cancer. I don't know how I feel about that. It, yes, it, you do. It's you're right. I do. It strikes <laughs> me as very facilitated communication ish. Yeah. He is feeling anxious and his feelings of anxiety are manifesting in his behavior because his mother is sick. I don't believe that. I, I agree. I don't believe that either. I, I mean, like you said, there's the aspect of, okay, uh, mom looks different. Mom is gone more often. So the absence of mom and a change in the environment might cause some sort of change in behavior. But I mean, beyond that, I just, I have a very hard time believing that someone with that little language, like less than 50 nouns mm -hmm. can understand that mom is dying soon. I, I agree. And it, it, it'd be difficult to construct those relational frames with that limited vocal and communicative repertoire. Also, um, because I live in Florida, I'm constantly inundated with stuff about alligators. There's a guy in the Everglades who swims with alligators in like a sanctuary and he wears a wetsuit. And mm -hmm. he was talking before he was commenting on other people's comments saying like, oh, Bertha, the alligator loves you. He goes, no, she doesn't. She's an alligator. She's not capable of love. I am not, okay, listen, we're going to clip this out. I am not equating people with moderate disabilities to alligators, okay? Not doing that. But the the analogy is going to make sense in a second. And what he went to do is he said, it looks like she's being affectionate with me because I am touching her and she's not biting me. However, I know specifically how to interact with her so yeah. that she does not bite me. And he took his hand from under her, which seems like a very loving and tender gesture and flicked a finger next to her. And she immediately snapped at it. He goes, if she loved me, she wouldn't have tried to bite me. So he disproved that love emotion that people were anthropomorphizing this alligator to have. Yeah. Disney's great at doing this. They love to anthropomorphize Bambi yep. and, you know, make that the hunter, the villain and things like that. But there's, there's nothing other than your own perception mm -hmm. and then projecting onto another person what you would feel and then assuming that they feel that same way. Yeah. That they're doing in this situation with, you know that the parent is going to die, but they don't have necessarily the vocal ability or the communicative ability to understand what's going on, let alone to process that into complex emotions like you do, a person who's capable of holding down a job working with these types of individuals. 
And I feel like that's the basis of a lot of what we see with this trauma-informed care and trauma-assumed specifically is Mm -hmm. if the child appears upset, then it is likely because they have suffered childhood trauma. I just think that is such... That could lead to some very faulty programming and treatment if we go off of the premise of I learned that childhood trauma is gaining a lot of attention. You must have it because it's almost like we want them to have it in a weird way. I don't, or maybe, you know, I shouldn't have said it that way. I'm not saying that we want to inflict pain onto other people, but it seems like we're desperate to find meaning in just everyday typical behavior. Well, you want to find meaning in things, but mm-hmm. also you want to feel special. Yes. Everyone wants to feel special. Everyone wants to be the unique person. Um, you stop listening to your favorite band when they start to go mainstream because they sold out. Mm-hmm. It's not unique and special anymore right. to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I can't remember if it was you, one of our conversations, but it's like now conservatives are punk rock. Yeah. Like, punk rock used to be against the establishment. And yeah. the establishment used to be one thing. And mm-hmm. now it's more punk rock to be a conservative because the mainstream media and the mainstream application of things is not conservative. It's it's significantly more liberal. Right. So people that are conservative are punk rock. Mm-hmm. And if everyone out there, you're also that's assuming for these people that are, you know, kind of projecting that trauma onto other people, that's assuming that no one else has trauma. Right. And I'm special because I had trauma. And mm-hmm. of course, you had a great upbringing and you had loving parents and you didn't experience what I experienced. That's why I can't do this. That's why I have time blindness. That's why I identify as um, as, as a furry. Sorry, furry community. It's a little <laughs> bit odd to me. Come at me and explain it to me. I'm ignorant in terms of furries, but on the surface, okay. it strikes me as odd. Okay? Yes. And if that's your way of yeah. coping with whatever perceived difficulties you went through as a child... Okay, that's fine, but it's a little odd. And that makes someone feel special and feel unique. Also, um, from a personal perspective, I really like to work hard, mm-hmm. whether it be physical work or mental work or anything like that. Like I actually like to work hard and exert effort. And I can't do that if someone else is the cause of and solution to all of my problems. Correct. And I don't have to work hard. If you're the cause and the solution, then I can just sit back and wait and just let people accept me for who I am. But mm-hmm. if you take ownership, like every, I do, I've never met someone that had no arguments with their parents, disagreements with the teacher. They got perfect grades without trying. Like all that type of stuff is seemingly the, if the opposite causes trauma, like that would be non-traumatic. And I don't know anyone that experienced that. So by those right. definitions, you could say like everyone's kind of experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. So if everyone's experienced trauma and some people are not traumatized and other people are traumatized, then what sets those two different camps apart? And I think it's something around, you know, taking personal accountability and not having a victim mentality and doing the work to try to better yourself. Right. Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's, I think a long winded answer to your question. Perfect segue into a a little segment I have. I'm going to read this to you. Now, really quick, I will preface this with the social model versus medical model of disability that 
movements like the neurodiversity movement take issue with they -hmm. think the medical model is we need to cure or fix the person and strip them essentially of their disability which has become their identity the social model sees basically society as the reason for failing people with disabilities and it is society's fault that you know people with disabilities or illnesses can't succeed in a world made for normal people so just keep that in your head Mm-hmm. Quote, the socially marginalized position which people with intellectual disabilities frequently occupy underpins their experience at times of loss through death. For people with intellectual disabilities, this manifests in society's failure to acknowledge their emotional lives and a disbelief in their ability to emotionally grasp the complexity and finality of death. So should we work on like creating Frankenstein monsters so they can don't have to deal with death? <laughs> how would this, how would you like I don't I mean you didn't write this so you can't answer. But how would a person that wrote that like me to set up a situation where a person with a disability, intellectual disability, doesn't have to deal with death? Like right. what, what social what social right. supports can be set up so that they don't have to yes. deal with that and they can work within their limitations? Yeah. Yeah. That was very confusing to me. It, it's so confusing. And it's just, it, it's it's things like this where we talk about ownership and the empowerment that comes with taking ownership and the skills that we could build to better navigate tragic things like death or whatever that might be. And then we have advocates like this, that everything is society's misdoing and everything is society's dirty work to clean up. And I, that's just such an awful thing to be teaching people, especially people with disabilities. <laughs> this show was produced by Pretty Easy Podcasts and made possible by listeners like you. If you ever thought of doing your own podcast, please visit prettyeasypodcast.com.